0: Welcome to Money Sense. I am your host today, Anne Mank, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. For more information, visit ellenbecker.com. And you can also call us at 262- 691 3200. Today, my guest is Rachel Lamotnia. She is the owner of Masterpiece Bookkeeping, and she is really our go to when it comes to small business accounting. She has, I don't want to say a ton of years' experience, I won't give that away, but she has quite a few years' experience in the accounting world. Um, we love to have her on the show because she is just so easy to talk to and just a wealth of information. So she was previously on the show earlier in 2020, that was, uh, to talk about some of the stimulus packages that were coming out. How does that affect small businesses? So, Rachel, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, give us a little bit of background on what you do and what your business does. And then why don't we just kind of dive into what's happening in the world of the stimulus that small businesses are getting from the government at this point?
1: Right. Well, thanks so much for that sweet introduction. I appreciate it. I love doing stuff like this and talking and helping um, small business owners. So very cool. Um, but yeah, like you said, my name is Rachel Lamantia. I own Masterpiece Bookkeeping and we work with small businesses on their um, accounting and finances. So very full service and a very, we take a very proactive approach and try and make it as easy as we can for our clients. Like some of our clients never log into QuickBooks if they don't want to, <laughs> um, which they love. And and then if they also want more support or like we do everything, but then if they also want more support around, like, how can you use your numbers to grow your business or make better decisions about your business? I love having those conversations with clients too.
0: And so what made you start this business in the first place? Like really what made you decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into this area and do something that's a little bit different than maybe what you're seeing in the marketplace.
1: Sure. Well, I before this, I owned another business with my dad and um at that business is where I fell in love with entrepreneurship. And you know, the American dream and small business owners are such cool people because they took this leap to take another path and try and change their lives and their family tree and help other people by starting this small business and they employ people and they're just so vital to our community. So I love small business. Um, And bookkeeping is something I'm just really good at. Um, And so I felt like it was just the perfect combination of skill and passion. Like I can bring something to small businesses that's vital for what they do. And most people either don't know how to do it, They've never been taught or they don't like doing it or both. So there's a natural market there. And, you know, in the bookkeeping industry, there's a lot of, you know, people who are just data enterers who like say they're bookkeepers and do freelance work on the side and don't really know the ins and outs. And then there's also accounting firms where it's not their focus. So they're not set up to do that piece really well. So having a bookkeeping company where that's what we do and that's the only thing we do, I thought was going to be a really cool value add out there that is not an option for a lot of people because there's not a lot of other companies like ours.
0: Mhm. Well, and you come from it with like you said the unique perspective of you understand the entrepreneur mindset. Yeah. And so you understand why sometimes owners just don't focus on the books as much as they should because you understand that it's fun and exciting to do some of these other things yes. and not necessarily focus on the books, but Yeah you know, I, from my accounting background, that's where the true story of the business is, is in those financials.
1: Numbers don't lie. Right. They can if you put them in wrong. (laughs) 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 Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's where you can really gain. And honestly, that's your finances is what helps build a successful business by building a profitable business it ties back to your why and why you started the business. You, if you start a business, you obviously have some financial dreams. You want it to at least support you and probably more. So paying attention to your finances helps you personally because it ties back to your dream, the dream that you had when you started your business. And it also helps you build a solid business. So that you can keep going and like, you can weather storms like this pandemic and things that have happened. If you have a solid financial business and you have a cushion and you're profitable, you can stand to weather some bumps along the way a little bit better.
0: Right. And I think a lot of individuals too, as the stimulus packages were coming out, I mean, a lot of that was data-driven on how much they could Mm -hmm. qualify for, how they would have to pay it back later. Um, so why don't you just give a really brief update on what was originally kind of put out there and then we'll go for a break and then we'll talk about how it has changed recently and what we're doing at this year end, because this is all new. So it keeps changing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what originally was done? So, you know, we had the pandemic, the economy was shutting down. And then the government stepped in and offered some, well, it was multiple steps during the year. So what really was happening? What did small businesses have the opportunity to have?
1: Absolutely. So last spring, um, the first major stimulus was called the CARES Act. And for small businesses, the major part of that was the PPP loan or the Paycheck Protection Loan. And it's a forgivable loan, so it starts out as a loan, and then once you spend the money, you have to apply for forgiveness, and so it essentially then turns into a grant, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. And you can apply any business that um, I think you had to be under a certain you know number of employees mm-hmm. and and whatnot. You can apply for it, and it's two point five times a monthly payroll. So you essentially get the funds to keep your people employed for a couple months while, you know, people were trying to figure out the pandemic. So that program, actually, you can still apply for that first round of PPPs today. It's it's still an open program Hmm. if you didn't get that initially. But that was the main thing for small businesses. There was also the EIDL. Which is the um, the loan program through the SBA, and that you know that's the Economic Disaster Loan, and that's been a program for a long time, but obviously right now it's been more heavily used. So you can do that, and in conjunction with that, there was also what's called an advance, which is a grant. It was up to ten thousand dollars one time, like no strings. You got the money, um, which was kind of a quick infusion of cash for a lot of. A lot of businesses. So those are the main things. There was also some other things like you could defer your payroll taxes and um, a lot more on the individual side, unemployment and stimulus and all of that. But those are those are the highlights.
0: Well, and even as you were talking, it just like businesses needed to know what their payroll was. Yes. So I can just imagine that having somebody you as like you as a partner made that transition easier for them because they knew their numbers. So they knew how much they could apply for quickly.
1: Yes. Yeah. And being able to, even for the loans, if you need to provide financial statements or any type of loan, you usually need to have information at your fingertips. So that's important. And, you know, it's not just, you can apply for it if you if you don't have payroll too. So if you're a freelancer or part of the gig economy, or um, you know, you don't have actual W-2 payroll that's run, you can also apply, but then you need to like calculate it differently. Just so people are aware, like you can still get it if you're not on payroll or you're a solo preneur. Was there some
0: talk at the very beginning that some of this was forgivable and some was not? Was there... For some reason, I was thinking that there was a bit of a confusion on what individuals might have to pay back versus not. Did you run into that or did you have any clients like that? Yeah, well, there's a lot.
1: There's a lot of confusion out there. So there's rules about how you have to spend the money. So you have to spend it on what's called forgivable expenses. So payroll, rent and a certain percentage of it had to be on payroll so that the intent of the program remained intact, which was to help you pay your people. Um, So if you didn't meet those benchmarks, then the whole loan might not be forgivable. So you do have to follow the rules. And then originally they also had a provision in there where if you got that advance we were talking about earlier, the Mm -hmm. EIDL advance, they deduct that from the forgivable amount of your PPP. That went away, thankfully, with the latest <laughs> acts late last year, but that was an initial um, provision for that. And also, that's a good point. So if you apply for PPP forgiveness early and had that ad- advance deducted, you should go back to your bank and see if you can get it refunded. Because I've heard of banks doing that in some cases if that because of the updated law. Oh, that's a great point. (laughs) Yeah, I had one person I talked to. I'm like, you should go ask your bank. And she's like, yeah, I got my $10,000 back that she had to pay. So.
0: Wow. So from a small business perspective, like where does that show up in their financials? Like how do you
1: even record something like this? So there's a lot of debate about that in the accounting community. Um, Well, so PPP loan, while it's still a loan, is a loan. It's on your balance sheet as a loan, as if, you know, you owe it and you have to pay it back, even though we're considering it with reasonable confidence that it's going to be forgiven. It's still a loan until it's actually forgiven. And it's tricky because the tax implications keep changing. So normally, if you get a grant of some sort, it's continu- it's considered taxable income, mm-hmm. and we put it on your profit and loss as income. We usually put it at the bottom section that's called other income, so it's not part of your normal income. We designate it differently, but it's still income. In this case, the tax implications keep changing. Is it taxable? Are my expenses deductible? all of that stuff has gone through a couple different morphs and it's actually right now it's different on the federal level than it is on some state levels. So it's, it's kind of muddy.
0: Well, that's what you're there to help them through. Well, why don't we take a really quick break? And then when we come back, let's talk about how businesses can either based on what we're seeing right now, how do we record it right now? What are some things that might change there's been some new acts that are in the works or have been you know mm-hmm. coming out slowly and so let's talk about that in just a moment welcome back to money sense i'm your host today and make wealth advisor with ellen becker investment group and today My guest is Rachel Lamontia. This is the owner of Masterpiece Bookkeeping. She is an expert in the world of small business finance, putting together financial statements and also being a strategic partner for those small businesses. And we were talking about some of the grants and the efforts and the money that's come into small businesses because of the pandemic. And when we left, we were talking about that. It's just, it, a lot is up in the air. So at this point, how are you advising your clients on, okay, let's take this track. Cause we don't know everything's changing. So how are you advising them right now? What is, you know, the path that they should be taking?
1: Well, right now, as far as taxes are concerned, they've changed some of that. So before you almost had to plan for a bigger tax bill because if this this PPP forgiveness and for some people it's quite a bit that they got you know forgiven is taxable. That's a big tax bill that they weren't planning on paying. So we've talked through that and they knew that. um, But now that has all kind of changed with the Consolidation Appropriations Act that came out in November or December. I don't remember exactly when, but it was late last year that the Consolidated Appropriations Act came out. And they basically said, we're taking away the um, taxable implications of it. So it used to be that your PPP forgiveness, you couldn't deduct those expenses, essentially making it taxable. So, you know, if you got a hundred thousand dollar PPP loan, you'd have to pay, Mm -hmm. you'd have to pay taxes on it. And they took that away. Um, they also made the idle advance that we talked about earlier. They took away that from taxable income as well. So they, Fixed a lot of that, and that's going to be a lot easier for tax burden on small businesses. Um, The sticky part of that, though, is that that's the federal level. So on a state level, they haven't all done the same thing. Hmm. Um, For example, here in Wisconsin, according to the Department of Revenue website, as we're talking today, they are not following the same rules, and you still have to, you know, it it still essentially results in taxable income in Wisconsin. Now, there are proposals, there are people lobbying that, there are some legislative proposals on the board, as I understand it. Nothing is passed as of right now, but they're trying to figure it out. So I guess the advice would be, When you're filing your taxes, ask your tax preparer if maybe it makes sense to hold off until Mm -hmm. we know if it's actually taxable in Wisconsin or not or whatever state you're in. Um, If it's up in the air and it might change, that would change it favorably for you. You might want to wait a little bit longer to do your taxes than you normally would.
0: Because for a small business, when do they have to file and when can they extend to? Do you know?
1: So if you're a Schedule C business where it's like rolled up into your personal taxes, Mm -hmm. um, it's the April 15th deadline, and then you can extend it, I think, to October. If you have a corporate return, those are usually March 15th. But then also there's the extension option. So, Okay. So if
0: there is anything up in the air, it might be worth extending this year. Just in anticipation. Yeah. Have you seen, um, because there was a lot of money that went into businesses, for the ones that you work with, did these grants and these loans make a difference in their businesses?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. I have a few businesses in my book that, in my client list, that have been hit hard. You know, I have a couple gyms, I have somebody in the event space. You know i have people in industries that are just seeing tough times right now because of the in-person gathering restrictions and um you know nobody's traveling and doing events and all that stuff anymore and for them like they've seen huge reductions in revenue and some of this money and loans and stimulus and help has helped them kind of limp along and stay afloat so um, it definitely has made a difference for some small businesses.
0: And I've heard that some small businesses have used this as an opportunity to maybe transform their business, maybe do something that they hadn't been doing, yes. um, you know, invest. Have you seen any like cool investments or any changes that any of your clients have made because they've used this as an opportunity versus, yeah. you know, just staying of a,
1: a Floats. Ooh, that's a cool question. Well, yeah. So I've had clients who have taken in-person models and tried to do virtual. Like one of my event people started doing pop-up weddings where they oh. like took care of all the different vent the the vendors and the venue and like set it up so that you know you could do it within regulations and whatnot. So. I had one do that. I had, you know, people who do in-person stuff figure out how to take it virtual and do, you know, a lot of people have done that. So I think, and it's interesting talking to other professionals who have, you know, seen a lot of businesses. It's kind of like, you know, a sink or swim moment. You either have to figure it out or it's going to be tough. And we've unfortunately also seen a lot of businesses close. Right. But I've been surprised at how many have
0: been able to pivot, you know, oh, to yeah. use that word. Absolutely. And it's actually making things, some things are better, like just some restaurants, some of the improvements they've put in place with being able to order online or home service delivery, um,
1: Exactly. There are some things that I don't think they're going to be able to stop doing. Right? when <laughs> Things, yeah, get back to normal. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of it, the definition of entrepreneur in there somehow is like figure stuff out. So a lot of, by nature, a lot of entrepreneurs have just been like, all right, let's do this and found mm-hmm. unique and awesome ways to still serve their clients.
0: hmm Do you hear of any changes coming up for the future? I mean, there's been a lot of stimulus packages, payments towards small businesses, but at some point it's like, okay, now we have to figure out, you know, we're starting from this point. Let's figure out how to go forward and not rely on those as much. Um, Do you hear anything coming up where there is an additional grant or anything coming up? Or are we really at that point where, okay, we got what we got and now we need to figure it out?
1: Uh I think there there could be more. Have we talked about the second draw of the PPP yet today? I don't think we Oh have. no, I don't think we have. Because there's also was consolidated appropriations act. Um no, part of that was a second draw of the PPP loan. So um, you can still apply for the first one, but if you have gotten the first one, you are now potentially eligible for a second one. And you can get the second one if you can show a 25% revenue decrease in any quarter in 2020 compared to 2019. So they put that extra little requirement in there to make sure it was businesses that have seen significant, you know, decreases in revenue. But so right now there's that going on where you can, you know, apply and get another infusion of cash. So I don't I think we have to see how it goes. I think there's a lot of talk and uh, you know lot law, lawmakers both on the state and federal level want to you know nobody wants to see a great depression or the economy right. to take a big tank so um i think it depends you know how long it takes to get back to normal if things turn around there's a lot of question marks out there right now yeah and that's
0: kind of what we're seeing on the financial side as well um for us, it's, well, what, you know, what's going to happen in the economy? Will we see any, a boom once everybody's, you know, out and doing, you know, traveling again, or they can actually go visit and go to a restaurant again. Yeah. Because I've seen a lot of, especially this year, working with clients, it's a lot of, well, we didn't do anything this year. So we actually saved money. So this year was a lot of, you know, oh, savings yeah. got boosted. Yeah. So if they they were lucky enough to continue working where they're working or they were able to kind of maintain their income level, because everyone's working from home, they're not using their car as much. Because they can't travel, they're not spending. So really, the only place that I've seen people spend is they're remodeling their kitchen or their basement.
1: Contractors (laughs) are going crazy
0: right now. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Yes, they are. Yep. And we just talked to... um, a real estate expert, and he was saying that, you know, this spring really might be a boom in real estate because everybody's been sitting in their home for a year, and they see it as an opportunity to finally, okay, I'm I'm sick of staring um, at these walls. I'm
1: ready
0: to move, ready to move well, now. Yeah,
1: the, the market has remained a seller's market for quite a long time and, and the prices are still high. So mm-hmm. um, it really, it really will be interesting to see how that all plays out. I mean, I think you're right because, you know, the people who are still solid financially and haven't lost jobs you know, it might be an easy recovery for the mm-hmm. economy or faster than we we're anticipating, but it's hard to yeah. say.
0: Yeah, but definitely different than what last yes. year at this time was, that's for sure. Yes, for sure.
1: <laughs>
0: well, why don't we take a really quick break? When we come back, um, you know, a lot of what we were talking about really depended on good, strong financials, and so what are good, strong financials? How do individuals make sure they're strong? How do they work with partners? So we'll talk about that when we come right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host, Anne Mank, Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have the owner of Masterpiece Bookkeeping with us, Rachel LaMontnia. She is an expert in the world of financials for small businesses. She has the experience of both being an entrepreneur and also knowing how numbers work. So she has definitely an understanding of what small business owners go through just based on her own business, but then also with her experience. And so when we were talking last, it was about um, the stimulus and having the loans and the grants And it keeps coming back to good financials, because you do have to show your payroll, you do have to show what your revenue was in 19 versus 20. You know, how does a small business actually have good financials? Like that's usually the last thing on an entrepreneur's mind is to look at the book. So what are some things that they need to do or make sure that their financials are showing or even what's the mindset they should have when looking at their financials?
1: good questions and you're right a lot of people just leave it to the last minute i just talked to my friend yesterday a friend of mine who said yeah i spent four hours over the weekend like going back through all of 2020 and trying to get my (laughs) expenses in line so it's real um it's so 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 easy to put it on the back burner because you're running your business you have so many other things to do um but it really should be a priority and you should you know you should pay attention to your finances because it tells you things about your business you don't get anywhere else knowing you know your revenue and seeing it in black and white and how it's grown and looking at the profit numbers and where your expenses are trending Um, because a lot of times you don't know how much you've spent until you look at it and think it was that number right (laughs) so I think just you know, realizing that it's important. And then also realizing that it might be scary because finances are scary to a lot of people because they haven't been taught about it. They don't know. And that's okay. Like you're not alone. Every small business owner has blind spots that they weren't trained in. They don't know. Mm -hmm. Mine was HR. I've had to hire a lot of people to help me with my hiring process and things like that. So, you know, just... Realize that, know that it's important, that it's okay to ask for help and get help and, you know, figure it out. You can, there are resources out there and you're not alone.
0: So where does someone start on their financials? Because if they're just not comfortable at all, where should they start? Or where's something that, you know, if you had to pick one area for them to focus or two areas for them to focus on, because sometimes it's overwhelming. Like I have a, I have a P and L what's a P and L like, it's always a loss. There's no profit. Like, what am I looking at? Where should they start or what should their focus be on?
1: Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing is to focus on is building a profit margin and making sure like your expenses aren't exceeding your revenue. Um, that, it's building a profitable business is the best thing you can do for your business. Cause it gives it that solid foundation. It proves that your model works and that, you know, you can exist for a long time. You can't keep operating if you're spending more than you're making, like it just, just doesn't work like that. Um, so focusing on profit is like the best thing that you can do for your business. Um from a mechanical standpoint or like the functionality of it. And um, if you're just starting your business or you're like a freelancer or have a side gig, um, the most important thing you can do is start treating your business like a business and not a hobby or a side gig. So, Open a separate bank account for your business, and everything for that business or that side gig goes through that bank account. All of the income goes in there, all of the expenses go through there. Don't try and mix it up with your personal stuff because that makes it so super hard to um, figure it all out at the end of the year. Or. Yeah you should really be paying attention to it more often than at the end of the, at the year. End of the year. <laughs> Every month is great. You know, set aside a half an hour to like look through things. If you have somebody helping you, that's even better because they can help you learn how to read financials and um, go through it and give you, you know, strategy and support. But yeah.
0: And that's a good point. And even what that was making me think of is, So you have an entrepreneur that wants to start. And one of the questions they always have is, well, what should I charge for my services? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, you know, they know what's out in the market, but then there's a lot of emotion tied to it. Like, am I really worth this? Do I really, you know, can I really charge this month, this amount? But I think if you really approach it from the perspective of, well, it's going to cost this much for me to do this. Like whether if you're in services, it's like, what technology, what compliance, what insurance do you need? Or if you Mm -hmm. actually manufacture something, what's the cost of that widget Yeah. to start from that perspective, because that's the beauty of accounting is that it is black and white in numbers. Like it is what it is. is. And so if you know what this price is, well, then you don't have to worry about it. Do you, are you providing enough value because you know what your expense side is?
1: You know, your expense side um, yeah, absolutely. and pricing is a journey for a lot of people, mm-hmm. like you do trial and error and you need with it and you, and you figure it out along the way. There are a couple blind spots there though, and the biggest one is that when business owners are first starting out, they don't often think of their time in that equation because mm, when you're starting out, um a lot of business owners don't pay themselves and um, and often like don't pay themselves for quite a while. And I would challenge any of you out there who aren't paying yourselves or aren't paying yourselves enough or aren't paying yourself regularly. That should be a major goal of your business because your business isn't profitable unless you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're being compensated for your time because otherwise, you know, you're giving your time away for free. So think about your time too, and um, build that in a lot of times overhead, people don't think about like, you should always add another cushion on for unexpected things that you're not sure about. So there's like per job costs, and then things that are just general, like the insurance and all of that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, pricing, pricing is a tricky one, you know, don't be afraid to um, play with it. And and try a couple different models on for size, and think outside the box. Like in my industry, for example, a lot of people charge hourly, and I think I don't like that model. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of disadvantages to it. So I do flat rates, and I put people on subscriptions. And so try and try and think about ways to make it a win for both the person you're serving and for you. Yeah. And just our conversation,
0: I think this is pointing to the fact of there is a record keeper and then there's a bookkeeper. There are differences in the accounting world. And so the services you provide aren't just, yeah, let me put that into a spreadsheet for you. Yes.
1: (laughs) It's not just data entry. Yeah, there's definitely levels of how well you keep your finances. You can, you know, keep them all in a bank account when you first start. Or a simple spreadsheet, if you're still, you know, small and growing and and doing it yourself. I recommend a spreadsheet actually over trying to get a software because softwares are more complicated. But then, and then there's, you know, freelance bookkeepers, you can hire that, you know, are glorified data entry people and just put things in and they're not necessarily catching things. I find a lot of things that aren't right in, in that kind of stuff, even coming from other bookkeepers. And then... You have what I what I call down and dirty bookkeeping, where people people, a lot of accounting firms do it this way, or they call it write-up services, where they just like take everything and dump it in somewhere. And as long as the reconciliation works out and the numbers match at the end, it's good. What we do is we really try and tie everything together. So instead of all of this that came into your account as income. We want to make sure we're tying it back to your point of sale system or your invoicing or making sure all the numbers work and giving you more meaningful reporting. Because you can get a financial statement that's accurate, but doesn't give you the information you want. Or you can get financial statements that show you more about your business business if it's set up differently
0: it's making me think I had a CFO that I'd work with and she would always say, well, is this telling the right story? And not from the perspective of we want to fudge the numbers or, you know, is this, we're making something up, but we know how the business felt and worked for the month. And is that really what the numbers are showing? And is there a disconnect? And so it's that analysis, which is what your company helps is, yeah, these are the numbers, but do you see any problems with this? Here's what I'm seeing that your profit was great and you didn't really have a lot of expenses, but did you spend a lot this month?
1: And then, if it doesn't make sense, let's talk through it and figure out, well, why? What's the story behind it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just, I always think of financials as just, it's a book, it's a story. It's, you know, it really tells what's happening, but you have to be willing to learn the language and then just start developing that gut of, no, this is wrong or something's missing here. But if you're not looking at it, you're never going to develop that second sense.
1: You're exactly right. It's a, it's a skill. The first time you look at your profit and loss, you're going to be lost. The next time, you're going to understand it a little bit better. And then the next time you're going to understand it a little bit better. And I tell my clients, like, give yourself a little bit of grace. You've never been taught this before. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that you're learning. So if you look at it every month and take a half an hour, an hour every month and say, all right, I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to try and understand it a little bit better each time in a year. You're going to know a lot more than you did a year ago.
0: Yep. And by then it'll be like, you look at them for five minutes and you're like, yep, that looks good. Or wait, no, here's something I need to look at. So it does get better over time. It does. It does. It gets better. I promise. (laughs) Well, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about um, what small, small businesses need in order to prepare for the tax season what does your tax person really need? And um, what should you be providing? And what does a tax person do? Like talking about a bookkeeper versus record keeper? Well, there's that difference on the tax side as well. So we'll take a quick break and then come back and talk about some more fun and exciting accounting stuff. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am Anne Mank, Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have the owner of Masterpiece Bookkeeping, Rachel Lamontnia. She is the expert in the world of finances for small businesses when it comes to the accounting side of things. And when we were talking prior, it was all about that there is a difference between the service you can get from a bookkeeper versus record keeper and that there are differences to look for. As you're working with clients, what do they really need to provide to their tax preparer and how do they know that they have the right tax preparer or that more or less they're doing what we think they should be doing versus what they might actually be doing?
1: So let's talk about how you work with your tax preparer. A very common misconception is what tax preparers want when you turn your things in for taxes. They absolutely, 100% do not want your box of receipts or your giant (laughs) 12-page spreadsheet. They do not need to see every detail and every transaction, nor during tax season do they really have time to sort Mm -hmm. through it and and dig it out and put it together. When you hire somebody to do your taxes, they want you to hand them the nice, neat little reports like the balance sheet and the profit and loss and some notes Um, You you might have a mileage log and some other things like that, but they want the summary. They're not, they don't want to add things up for you and that you're just going to pay them a lot of money to do a lot of that stuff. Um, And they, and a lot of them won't even do it. They'll send it back Mm -hmm. to you and say, "Mm, no. So... To make their job easier and be able to give them, you know, more ability to help you and look for other higher level things, like actual tax deductions and things, you want to have it together for them. You want to have all the categories added up. You want, you want to hand them a nice, nice, neat little report. Um, and so when you hand them that report, they have the totals, right? Right. They don't have all the detail that you put into it. So another misconception I see a lot is that people expect their tax preparer is going to tell them if they did something wrong or if they're trying to deduct things they shouldn't deduct or if they're missing deductions. And that's just usually not true because they don't have the detail. They can't see if you snuck something in there that shouldn't be in there. The good ones will like make sure if you're using an accounting software that you've done your reconciliations and that the balance sheet looks right and that in general, everything seems to be in the right place. Um, They don't all even do that. So just know that when you turn something into your accountant, you're responsible for what's in those reports. And you, you're usually signing something saying that too. Mm-hmm. Like when you sign that engagement letter that your accountant sends, you're <laughs> saying like, I'm pro- pro- providing complete information, right? So I think a lot of people who try and do it themselves think that the accountant is giving that level of support, but that's not the service that they've hired them to do. Does that make yeah. sense?
0: It does. And um, we saw that as, i missing in the tax preparer because we would meet with clients and say, why don't you have your tax preparer see how much you can convert this year or as a small business owner, how much can you add to your retirement plan this year. And what we were noticing is first, the accountant is not looking for that unless you're asking them to look for that. And second, we're always asking the question during tax time when they have like zero time to look at something like that. (laughs) So one of the things we do a little bit different for our clients who use our tax department is we have a strategy session in the middle of the year, and then we have them prepare their taxes. So right now our tax group is pretty much, they're off limits unless it's something significant we need to look at because they're focused on taxes.
1: That's brilliant.
0: But they also have the benefit of, I've met with the client in the middle of the year, so I know what to look for. I know if something seems off, I know I have to do this calculation right now. And we think that has worked really good for our individual clients. And so that's, I think, what I would recommend as well for anybody who's a small business is have a strategy session with your tax preparer outside of tax time.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's another misconception I see is people think, well, they're doing my taxes. They'll just tell me if they see opportunities or things you can do differently. And like, not always, that's not the service you hired them to do. You hired them to prepare your taxes. They can help you with that other stuff and strategy, but the strategy is a different thing than Mm -hmm. just doing the taxes.
0: Yep. And much like in your business too, it's, it's a skill that An individual has to have because it's not the norms like that's not the norm in the tax world, not the norm in the bookkeeping world. um, To have somebody to, to will sit there with you, take a step back and say, how can we make this better? But in my perspective, if you have the right financials, that's where you could really enhance your return. Because like we saw this year, if you knew your payroll and you knew your balance sheet and your revenue, you were able to get more of that loan or it was easier to get. And the same with taxes. Like if we have the right tax strategy in place, we might be able to save 10% just by keeping you in the right tax bracket. But it takes effort. It takes a strategy. It's not just something that can happen, you know, in the 30 minutes that your tax preparer is putting together your return.
1: Right. Exactly. It takes an an extra step. And I encourage small business owners to do that. Like find a tax preparer that you like, that you're comfortable with, that, you know, you communicate well with and that you trust Mm -hmm. and have those conversations about it. Because, yeah, and especially, you know, if you're working with somebody like us, you have good data to make decisions based Mm -hmm. off of. You're not, you're not always chasing like, well, is this right or not? The question right. changes from is this right or not to okay now what can we do? Right, exactly.
0: And that's where growth happens, you know, 10 times yes. over versus always struggling month to month. Right. So Rachel, if somebody would like to get more information on your business or ask for your help because yes. they realize that they need a little bit of help with their
1: business, how do they get a hold of you and who do you service? I'm going to send people to our website. It's masterpiecebookkeeping.com. And there's a contact page on there that comes right to me if you're interested in reaching out and chatting. And there's a lot of, like our service page is pretty good too. It goes through, you know, our process and what we do. So we start with cleanup jobs. So if your 2020 is kind of a mess and you (laughs) want help getting it ready for your taxes, we can do that. And then we go into kind of, a you, you know, the monthly service where we keep up with everything on a monthly basis. Um, And we work with as small businesses, you know, all the way from the solo and startup phase up until the point where they outgrow outsourcing, because once you get big enough, you can hire somebody in house or have an accounting department so You know, anybody in the small business space that feels like they don't have a handle on it or they're looking for actual support and looking to build a team around them and take that take their business to the next level is a really good fit for us.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a lot of good information. We talked about quite the gamut of topics today. But I just want to make sure our listeners got, you know, little nuggets. Um, They can definitely reach out to us or to you at masterpiecebookkeeping.com if they need to. Thank you so much for being on our show.
1: Thanks for having me, and It's always so much fun to talk with you. Just for our listeners,
0: remember that Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from noon until 1 p.m. If you like today's show and want to know more, please visit ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. As always, I hope that I have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.